everybody, and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, a podcast all about Newcastle United, brought to you by The Athletic. My name's Taylor Payne, and I'm joined this week, as ever, by Captain Private Chris Waffles. Waff, how are you doing, Chris? Hi, Taylor. I'm good, thank you. How are you? <laughs> I've, I've lost track of what your nickname is this week, mate. It could be anything. Is it Private Sergeant Corporal Waffles? What is it? I think that's up to you guys to decide what my rank is right now. Well, we'll choose at the end of this podcast based on your performance. How about that? Cool. <laughs> so, so, so you're saying that we're the we're the rankers here, are you? Yeah, absolutely. It's a decent group of. <laughs> Definitely a bunch, a bunch of rankers. Um, George Corkin is also on the line. George, how are you doing? Oh, I'm absolutely wonderful. Yeah, loving life. Loving life. Loving life. <laughs> hey, is lockdown treating you well? No, not particularly, but um, okay. you know, um, so I was, I was sort of doing that thing where you gloss over how you are, but now you've made me talk about it at greater length. No, I'm doing all right, yeah. Good, excellent. How are you? And we are how joined. Are you? I'm, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm not bothered. I'm not, I'm not bothered about me though. I'm trying to get to our special guest for the day. If that's all right. This is exciting. Yes. This is massively exciting, ladies and gentlemen. Please be upstanding and welcome on the pod on the time, Mister Steve Howie. Steve, how are you doing? I'm very good, guys. I think just listening to George there, I was kind of upbeat. But he sounds as miserable as hell, to be fair. That's that's so just hopefully. normal, that, though. You should be used to that, Steve, surely. Hopefully this can cheer him up. Well, I am used to it, to be fair, but he's normally more upbeat than what he was just there. All right, I'll try. I'll try better. Hi, I'm great. Yeah, that's great. Woo, come on, let's go. It's not natural. Excellent, that, right. I'm glad that that worked out. Anyway, so Steve, thank you for coming on and speaking to us today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on here. Um, you you are the second uh, Newcastle United centre defender that we've had on the show. We had Aaron Hughes on a little while ago, and now we've got you. Eventually, we will move up the pitch and pick up some other positions as we go. But thanks a lot for coming on. How are you? Uh, how are you spending lockdown? How's it going? It's not too bad. I mean, look, like everybody else, it's it's difficult, uh, but you just have to find ways and means of, of trying to keep yourself busy. Um, I go for a couple of walks every day. Me and my wife, we go for one seven o'clock in the morning. Um, my wife's one of these where she kind of works from home. And then when she finishes, uh, we go for another one. But normally through the day, uh, I kind of chuck myself in the garage. I've got like little bits of fitness equipment in there. So I do that. Um, there's a little light at the end of the tunnel because uh, you can actually get out. If, if you can actually get a book in time on a golf course, that's not for members only. So mm. hopefully I'll be I'll be getting getting some of that in, um, but like I said, it's just a case of just trying to keep yourself busy. The gardens never look so well, um, <laughs> yeah. and I think I mean there has actually been times of of getting stuff out of the cupboards just to re-iron them just to, for something to do. Wow, uh, <laughs> that's impressive. It's um, as I said, it's just hopefully you know we can see the light there at the end of the tunnel and we can get some. Bundesliga has just started, and that's hopefully we can get the Premier League and stuff up and running. Fingers crossed, yeah. There's all this talk about Project Restart and stuff like that. It sounds like you're keeping yourself busy anyway, and it sounds like you're doing the right things. I've been eating my body weight and biscuits uh, pretty much every day, so it sounds like you're on the right track compared to me. Lovely stuff. Anyway, but it's it's Mental Health Awareness Week this week. Uh, we want to chat to you a little bit about that, and you've got something in the in the pipeline with regards to that, haven't you, Steve? We have, yeah. Um, obviously, there's it's just it's connections within football. I mean, obviously, um, basically how this connection works is uh, I've known Dean Windass for for a long, long time. So basically, there's uh, at the moment there's six ex players. There's myself, there's Dean Windass, uh, there's Chris Kirkland, the the goalkeeper, ex Liverpool goalkeeper, Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, there is John Parkin, big centre forward, uh, Nigel Jemson, and Mark Crossley. Uh, we kind of got together. 
Um, and you, you see uh, Dean Wynn, that's on Twitter, and obviously he talks about, you know, make your bed and put your pillars on top, and basically it's the start of just getting up and, and getting out yeah. and, and trying to get yourself out of bed. That's a good start. Mm. Uh, Mark Crossley was putting on videos of, of him walking, uh, and we kind of, uh, the two lads had come up with an idea, and we just thought, look, for, for mental health, because there is a lot of people out there, men and women, uh, that do suffer from it. Uh, I think now it's it's become more where people f- feel a little bit better to, to actually talk about it because it was still frowned. Well, it's actually sometimes it's kind of frowned upon even now. Uh, but certainly mm. back in the day, you know, if you'd mentioned if you pulled one of your teammates uh, uh, and sort of said, I'm feeling a little bit down, uh, you wouldn't have gotten a sympathetic ear. Yeah. Um, but of course, it's, it's a lot easier to kind of talk about it now. So we're, we're, this is what we're going to be doing is making people more aware that it's it's, it's good to talk. Uh, so we decided to come together with a, with a group of other lads, great lads, to uh, do Kilimanjaro next year to raise money wow. and raise awareness uh, for uh, mental health. But also uh, half of that money goes to uh, the NHS as well, because obviously the fabulous job that they've been doing. Yeah. So it's a case of we've been in touch every day by, you know, we're getting together on, on Zoom. And uh, everybody's trying to push it out. We've been, uh, I think we've been trying to get Simon Jordan on board, the ex-Crystal uh, Palace uh, chairman, owner. And he was on Talk Sport this morning with Jim White and Jim White pinned him down. So I think he's on board and possibly Jim and one or two others. But it's just making people aware of it. We've called it Watch. Well, it's hashtag Watch, but we're going to be getting just given pages as well on Facebook and Twitter. And it's called Watch because it's walking and talking, charity hikes, and it's all about trying to get people out, get talking, but raise money for two fantastic courses. I think that's 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 brilliant, Steve. I mean, I think I'm certainly happy to admit that I've you know I've suffered mental mental health issues sort of over the years and um, sort of anxiety and things like that. I spell off work with that a few years ago, and we are, you know, we are very much more open about talking about it now, and maybe in a way that we weren't as you said a few years ago but i'm i'm intrigued about this challenge have you done have you done anything like that before well i can remember um derek wright who used to be the physio yeah. in castle that's what i was going to ask you about yeah i was going to ask yeah, you about yeah he had a place over at the lakes i did hiking up there with a really heavy haversack uh, on uh, so that's really my um extent my experience. I mean, believe me, it was hard. It was hard going up, but it's actually harder coming down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you were injured. You, were, you, he was doing that when you were coming back from injury. Yes. I mean, it was a great thing to do, and we went up with uh, a couple of the lads as well, a couple of the uh, staff, uh, and I found it hard, but absolutely so worthwhile. You know, when you get to the top, and and it's it's funny because we've been talking in our group that whilst we're doing it for these causes and people awareness of, of uh, mental health. Uh, I think for ourselves individually, it'll be an amazing achievement to actually do something, not only see the views, but actually to achieve something like that is a, such a such a good thing for, for our own positivity. Absolutely. I mean, Steve, I have to I have to take my hat off to you, mind. You've you've not messed about there, have you? Kilimanjaro, that's a big mountain, that. You're not, it's the highest, you're not, you're not playing highest with this, are you? Mountain. Um, you could have started even, with Penshaw Monument or something and just took it easy, well, do you know what have. I mean? But I you've mean, gone I, right I, in I there. Put, <laughs> I put Rosemary Toppen not far from me, so I think I might do that. But yeah. it's actually, you know, what do you mean it's the one. biggest? What do you mean it's the biggest freestanding mountain? They're all well. They're not because like, if you look at like kind of it's not part of the range. Or, 
Oh, all right, okay. I mean, even base camp one, where we start, that's that, that's actually higher than Ben Nevis, apparently. So straight away, you're oh, feeling Nick. feeling the kind of the lack of oxygen. And I think that's the biggest thing. We've had a lot of people, because there has been stuff on, on Twitter, we've had a lot of people sort of saying, look, don't get us wrong, the walk is hard, but it's just a lack of oxygen the higher yeah. you go. But we're, it's, we're gonna, it's gonna take us eight days from start to finish. Um, so to get up and to get back down. But I think it's just a case of a slow climb because obviously your body's got to get used to the lack of oxygen. So it's, it's going to be a tough one, but looking forward to it. It's a great thing to do. And, you know, I know Chris Kirkland, you know, has has, has spoken very, very movingly about his own his own sort of issues that, that, that he suffered from. And But it does take, it takes sort of, prominent people dean's done the same thing i know as, as well you know it takes prominent people to speak openly about these things to to make to make us more comfortable talking about them and listening to it and anyway it's a it's a, honestly that's a it's a brilliant thing to do so i'm sure we'll, well hear a lot had, more about it we've had a, we had a i mean i think we had craig bellamy on uh i think he was on sky uh, just the other day and i think he was talking to jeff streaves and stuff like that and he sort of said he, he suffers from a massively yeah I saw uh, that. The, the kind of the, the stigma that sometimes footballers have got when they come out because People in general will go, well, what's he got? To, what's he got to be depressed for? Yeah. You know, he's a footballer. He's earning all this money, and he's got a nice car, his nice house, and all this kind of thing. It's, you know, it's got nothing to do with your money. It's just your mental state and how you feel. And sometimes it's actually pushed. And it's certainly all of the, the, the six lads that I've, I've talked about. It's pushed us. Um, certainly me. I can sp- speak on my um, my own experience, and certainly Dean Windass to the point where. You know, I mean, basically, I was a phone call away. It was either make a phone call or I'm not making any phone calls again ever. You yeah, know, so yeah. we're actually talking about uh, experiences so we can we can kind of, you know, recognise what people's going through. As I said, it's not just about men, it's women as well. Just to interject there, I should point out to our listeners that Steve and I did a piece uh for the Athletic earlier this season and we talked about, we talked about our relationship and there's, hopefully there's, uh, and, you know, also Steve's, fabulous career but we did we did go into some of this stuff and i would i would love people to to read it i've known steve for a for a very long time and uh we did get into some of that some of that kind of stuff and i hope it was a kind of funny sad uh an emotional um sort of it was it was it was the anniversary in fact of steve making his um england debut that was sort of led us to led us to do it but we kind of had a night a night together to relive some of those uh, some of those old stories, uh, both good and bad. So the football season may be on hold at the moment, but the Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers in the business, and they're still hard at work telling unique, engaging, and informative stories. The Athletic can keep you connected to the team and the sport you love uh, during lockdown. Sign up now for a free 90-day free trial for the Athletic and see for yourself. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod for a 90-day free trial. And that trial, uh, you can cancel at any time you like as well. No problem at all. We've got lots of fantastic uh, Newcastle United-related content on the site. And of course, our prior podcast episodes are available for you to listen to as well. We've got a wonderful interview with Aaron Hughes. Uh, we've talked about our cult heroes, our favourite Newcastle goals, and also lots of chat about the takeover going back in time as well. Thanks very much and keep listening i mean steve you're in a prime position to tell us exactly what george colgan is like away from this trend facade that he puts up is he is he as much of a misery as what he seems to be on the podcast or is he a, a genuinely good guy 
Oh, he's, he's absolutely generally a good guy. Um, <laughs> but believe me, he doesn't hold back because I can remember we took some photographs for this piece in The Athletic and uh, he would have a look at his, his phone. And all he did was just batter me by the way that I looked. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> We've learned that, yeah. yeah I mean, he, he came down the next day and he was like, oh, I apologise. I'm like, do you think? Do you think? I mean, he absolutely <laughs> thought. I felt, the thing is, I felt all right on the night. And by the time I went to bed, I was absolutely devastated. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh so dear. Sorry. Well, our our own Chris Woffs had some uh, had some dealings with yep. George over the last couple of weeks, especially last week when he uh, decided to cut his hair with what appeared to be a lawnmower. Uh, <laughs> how's the how is the hair, Chris? How are you doing with the hair now? Is it starting to grow back a bit, or did you just shave it's, it all off? It started to grow back a little bit, but I've had loads of people like coming up and knocking on the door and asking for waffles. So um, I think that we've inspired <laughs> a, a sort of a new new haircut here. Mm. So the Nike swoosh has become the waffles chunk <laughs> from behind the ear. Lovely stuff. Uh, so anyway, I want to speak a little bit about Project Restart stuff with the with the Premier League, and it's looking like footballers are going to be going back to training. If you were a, a current player playing at the moment in the Premier League, how would you feel about this, about going back into training at the moment with everything that's going on with coronavirus? I mean, obviously, I, I work for the Premier League. One of my jobs is working for the Premier League, and mm. um, I can certainly see where some of the players are coming from. Um, but at the set, I mean, look, I'm, I, I will go more in depth about it, but you'd have thought players would want to play. And I think players generally, the, the vast majority, do want to play. Um, yeah. You know, I think they're going to be getting tested twice a week. Um, then there was, you know, to contact sport. And some, of the, some of the boys are obviously concerned. They've got young families and, and, and whatnot. And you can understand that. But it's just what the Premier League do. You know, do they, are they putting all the players in kind of a, a hotel? Or can they go back to the families? But is it safe? So you can understand kind of players being a little bit apprehensive about that. Um, look, we all want to see it go through. We've seen that as the lower divisions up in Scotland and, and stuff like that. They've cancelled the season and just ended where it is. Bundesliga's come back. Uh, but I just think, obviously, everybody's health is absolute paramount because you can imagine the connotations if and the consequences if they've got a fit and healthy footballer um, and then they do this and one of them falls foul to, to this horrendous uh, pandemic, you know, and the, as I said, the, the ramifications of that could be absolutely huge, but I'm pretty sure they'll do absolutely everything that they can to keep them safe. I think the players that will go against it, you can understand why they possibly are taking that decision, but you can understand the public thinking, well, hold on a second, you've got people here on the front line, the NHS nurses and all the people that's been doing and, and trying to work and trying to help all through this and not getting paid anywhere near what footballers are doing and yet footballers are thinking, well, I'm not. But having said that, like I said, I can totally understand if they've got young families or they're looking after the mum and dad or, or something like that, you know. So you've got to look at it from both sides. But me personally, I'd, I'd certainly want to play. It's that funny thing, isn't it? I mean, we talked about this a lot last week about how it sort of didn't feel like football. Um, but, you know, without in an empty stadium and, you know, players having to be tested and, you know, some some's kind of fearful about their health and things. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't feel like football to me. However, if this is the situation we're going to be facing for, you know, for a, a year perhaps, or, you know, certainly several months, we, I mean, there is that sense that at some point they will have to get on with it and and do it i mean maybe not for the reasons that we all want because mm. as i say i mean for me if you're talking about newcastle 
the idea of people playing in that stadium empty it just it just feels so completely alien and wrong to me but it is football is now a huge business it's you know it's not just it's not just a business for the players it's a business you know that uh, that kind of in, infiltrates its way out into the society at large and and you know we can't just stop it for a year there is a point where we have to kind of get on with it it's just um you know i found it quite difficult watching the bundesliga at the weekend yeah. i only watched a bit of it but it just didn't it felt like sort of football without context in fact i think that might be a phrase you use chris when we had a chat about it it's sort yeah. of you know if you don't feel if you don't have that feeling of sort of drama that the crowd gives and the excitement and the swearing and the shouting and the you know the yeah. anger and it becomes something else and it's not to say that you know when we played football as a kids clearly clearly there weren't crowds there when we did it but i don't know it just felt i, I didn't i didn't like it i mean i think it's i would like it sterile more. wasn't it yeah, I think I would like it more if it was a club that I cared about and that I could relate to and that I recognised people from it. But it was it was weird. Like, did you watch it, Steve? Well, I watched a bit of highlights, and it's just so. It's, I mean, football for me is about the fans, and obviously, with fans not there, it it cuts the vast, you know, it it cuts it right down. And it, as I said, it was weird even when I played if who came a game behind closed doors, for instance. Yeah. It just doesn't doesn't feel right. Uh, I mean, somebody had mm. mentioned. You know, do you get a PE system which lets out kind of noises of, of fans and stuff like that? But how would you know which which you must you must have a shed load of buttons and and, and know which ones to press at a certain time because oh, you press know, the wrong you song again. Oh, for, God. Yeah, just press a one where you kind of I don't know. It could be a cheer, but your your team's conceded the goal and that's the hometown team. It's just uh, it's <laughs> yeah, just yeah. a bit weird. But as I said, I mean, we all want it back, but it's certainly it just. I think George said, and I think everybody realizes it's just not the same without the fans and without the atmosphere. Who who would record the Steve Howie chant? <laughs> I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> Which one it. though? I'd flip it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want that blaring mm. out in an empty stadium, do you? Let's be honest. <laughs> Oh my word! Yeah, um, I think from from my point of view, with regards to the to the the lack of fans being there, I mean, it, it, I watched a bit of that Bundesliga game on on a Saturday, and it felt very sterile. It was nice to see football on the TV again, but then after about twenty minutes of it, I thought I can't I can't get into this, and I, I flipped over and put the Newcastle game on on YouTube, playing against Sheffield Wednesday instead, the eight nil, and I just sat and watched that, and I enjoyed it a lot. It was. It was different, but then you hear the crowd and you could hear them all singing for, for Sir Bobby and stuff like that, and it was it was amazing. It was really nice. I'm so glad that the club have brought that back as well, that, that 3 p.m. Uh, old game on YouTube. I think it's a great thing. Yeah, I think it's a great thing as well. And a reminder when about when Newcastle were pretty decent, um, which, uh, which obviously Absolutely. Steve would know about. Yeah. Steve, we're in the midst of a, a takeover at the minute, and you've been, you've been involved and in, been through one before with Newcastle United. How are you feeling with regards to the current takeover situation? I think, like everybody else, I think people are starting to get a lot more frustrated that it hasn't been done yet. For me, you kind of you, you listen to the journalists likes of George because the, you know for a fact you're going to get the right information. Uh, it just seems as though it is dragging a little bit. I mean, you know, sometimes with these kind of things, you don't hear anything, and all of a sudden, just you know, you wake up one morning, bang, it's done, and you think, wow. You know, absolutely excellent. But at the moment, you can understand the, the fans' frustration that you know it hasn't been hasn't been signed and and everything hasn't been done. I mean, 
look, you can sort of say, well, it's because of the coronavirus and stuff like that. Premier League is a huge, huge industry. And I know they're obviously having a lot of maintenance to try and get the Premier League back on track and playing games and what they have to do. But obviously they've got a huge department that, that could actually sort through this. So you just you just don't know what's kind of holding it up. And I think the longer it goes on when it's not being done, I think obviously you tend to get a little bit more worried about what the outcome's going to be. I was going to ask Steve if he can sort of remember. I mean, obviously Newcastle was a very different club back then because we're talking back to sort of, you know, 1990, 91, that kind of time uh, when Sir John Hall sort of took over and there was that long-running kind of battle with the first Magpie group as it was. Can you remember what the sort of atmosphere was like around the club then and did you have... Did you have that kind of feeling of excitement as players that there might be something kind of good around the corner or were you just sort of focused? I mean, obviously the difference was that you were still playing games and football was going on at the same time or did you just block all that kind of stuff out? Uh, obviously, you, you're aware of what's going on. Um, you know, I think it was God McKeegan. I remember God McKeegan walking into the, like the, the reception, which was certainly not the reception that we've got now. Uh, at the ground, you know, with these uh, old-fashioned golf clubs and stuff like that. Uh, but obviously, we, we knew that Sir John was was looking to take it over. And there was, like, he had about Magpie Group and all this kind of thing and seeing the fans protesting and, and whatnot. I mean, as players, you basically, that's got nothing to do with you. What you've got to do is just try and concentrate on what you have to do, which is, you know, apply yourself right and train and win games. Uh, but, of course, when, you, when you're thinking of, uh, when you are a player... Uh, you're hoping that the, the club will change and it'll change for the better. But obviously, when Sir John came in, you know nobody foreseen how how much it was going to change and how much of an unbelievable journey it would have, it was actually taking the club on. Um, so initially, you kind of you just focused on what you have to do. But certainly, once the ball st- uh, did get rolling and Kevin came in and the different things started happening, it was I mean it was a ridiculous roller coaster to be on. Steve, if you look back, what do you think was so crucial in terms of what decisions were made or what changes were made that really did turn Newcastle from obviously being in, in, the, in the second division and nearly going into the third division as a way to, to within a few years, the way that it happened? What do you, do you look back at and think that was, a, that was crucial? Kevin Keegan. Yeah. As simple as that, really bringing him in. Um, I think, look, under, under Ozzy Ardelez, uh, Ozzy was brilliant for the young kids. Um, you know, likes of Lee Clark, Steve Watson, Rob Elliott, Alan Thompson, Alan Nielsen, Matty Abbey, Lee Nakel, uh, people like that. Um, I think probably Ozzy's mistake was when you had players likes of Mick Quinn and Roy Aiken and Mark McGee and, you know, good players, it kind of eased them out, especially likes of Roy Aiken. Roy Aiken was captain of Scotland, you know, my unbelievable career at Celtic. And, and it was, the, the team was too many kids, if you want. Um, obviously, Kevin came in, and I think his very first signing was was an excellent signing. We we talk about, um, and nobody can ever forget the, the signings of Janola and uh, Alan and Corley, uh, Peter Beardsley, Les Ferdinand, Rob Lee, all of these players. But Brian Kilkline was mm-hmm. a ridiculous signing for the club. He was superb. He just set things right in the dressing room, got it all sorted, got all different things uh, right in the dressing room, and it just kind of snowballed from there. But he was the catalyst, Kevin. And then when you bring in people like uh, Brian Klein and, and then Paul Bracewell and Barry Venison and people like that, then that's when the momentum obviously obviously started to build. And what went, what went on afterwards with the players that I've just mentioned, 
I mean, I, I'm, I'm obviously a, I'm obviously one of these fans that you just think, you know, you look at football and think, you know, I watch the telly, watch Match of the Day and think, you know, someday it wouldn't be amazing if you kind of, you actually met him. And then, lo and behold, you're not thinking someday I'm going to meet him. You actually play with him. You're playing with these top stars. And it was kind of surreal, really. I was just going to say, I remember meeting Brian Kilkline outside of St. James's Park and I was about 11 year old and he absolutely terrified the life out of me. He was just a, an absolutely terrifying bloke. I, I don't know what it was about him, but he didn't look like he didn't look like a footballer. I don't think he could. You have a Brian Kilkline now? Would that would that happen? I don't know if it would. He would terrify centre forwards, and the thing was, he was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the size of him, his presence. I mean, he was. I mean, he he, he reminded, especially when he he danced. When he danced, he reminded me of Animal off the Muppets because the head and the hair <laughs> used to bounce all over. Uh, but. You couldn't actually meet a nicer, softer-spoken, yeah. gentle man in all your life. He was a blessing to meet, and he's still mm. the same. I mean, yeah. this is the kind of bloke who's like seven foot ten, and he lived on a barge, <laughs> and he used to build brick walls with his spare hand, with his bare hands. You know, them big, just out on these random fields. You know, the big boulders he used to just pick them up and build walls. And you just think, what are you doing? He loved it. He was, he was nuts. But what a lovely fella. Right, Fantastic. and I do want to interject here. So the question I was going to ask was, without getting you know, without getting people sort of hugely ex, you know excited takeover wise, just remind us what it felt like to be a footballer for Newcastle United, a local lad, when you were at the top of the league, when the city was buzzing, when the team was, you know, as I say, successful. What was that like? How did that feel? You're actually mentioning, you're talking about that. And whilst I'm thinking about it, you're kind of getting goosebumps. Uh, because it was just, I mean, it was it just, is this a dream? Is it, It's a kind of, you know, you, you hear about the, it's, it's so hard to get to the top and stuff like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. We worked so hard as a team and as individuals to get where we were. But actually, we felt as though at that particular time, it was with the group of players we had, um, What's all the fuss about? You know, we're, we are that good. <laughs> um, but it was just, I mean, even being at home, it was always nice to have the fit. Everybody was desperate. After, after training had finished, you didn't want training to end because of the way that it was. Um, and everybody was desperate for the next day to come so it would get back into training and be with the lads. And it was just a, an amazing time to be around not only very, very good footballers, uh, but uh, and amazing people, but ultimately very, very close friends. So you're basically playing football with your mates, but at the highest level, and it was just a surreal time to be in. And it was that thing where it was the thing you would, as you say, close friends, you were socialising with each other, you'd be, you know, you weren't, I mean, obviously this is like pre-mobile phone kind of day, you know, so, <laughs> but it's well. like the club, yeah, but it's like it's like the team celebrated with the fans, didn't they? I mean, you were all out on a Saturday night, you'd all be out together, and there was just that feeling of, I mean, when I say that there was a buzz in the city, that is how it felt. There was this constant, like, throb of adrenaline and excitement, and it just felt, you know, this is what a powerful Newcastle can feel like. Well, I mean, the city was alive, completely yeah. alive, and you could feel you could feel the pulse of the city, actually, and the pulse and the heartbeat of the of the of the fans, uh, whether it was mums and dads and young lads and you know sons and daughters, 
dads and sons and everybody was just involved. It was, it was basically one city, one family. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as I said, we went out and, you know, the, the lads were brilliant as well. You know, it's not like some time, well, it's not like it is now where players are pretty much untouchable. Whereas we had a group of lads that were more than willing to spend time with fans and talk to fans and sign this and sign that. Um, and it was, as I said, we used to go out once a week if we could through the games, uh, if games permitted it, uh, to go out for something to eat, we'd have a couple of drinks and stuff like that. And it was just the camaraderie at that particular time was just, I, I'd never get in it again um, in, after, uh, you know, after that kind of period had gone. I, haven't, I went to Manchester City, I had a great time at Man City, great set of lads, but nothing will ever be the same as what that time was. As I said, it was just, the, the, the heart of the city was beaten as one. Now when you look at it, I mean, we used to have to get out your car, but I mean, obviously you had to turn up a good few hours before a game anyway um, because of your preparations and stuff like that and, and uh, being a dressing room for meetings and whatnot. But you had to get there extra, extra early because you knew it was literally going to take you an hour to get from your car to get into the ground <laughs> because you're signing everything. Yeah. Where nowadays, and it's not just Newcastle because it's, it's a lot of clubs do it. The players, and this is where football's changed for me, the players... I'll be in the car, they pretty much drive past the fans, they're into the ground, they park the car, they walk down, they don't see any fans, and it's exactly the same after the game. They're in the car, gone. Where we would be with the fans before the game and after the game. And sometimes it was actually good after the game because a lot of the times you were getting plaudits and it was nice because you'd won. But also, you're getting battered because you hadn't. And it was nice <laughs> to hear that because you, you get the feeling of like, do you know what, i and, and this made us think that's not happening next week. That's not happening yeah. next game. Whereas I think players now are completely shielded away from fans, which I, I think for me yeah. it is that that's that's gone and, and that's that's a sad sad state. But you can understand it in a way. But it's not for me. I, I think players yeah. should be a lot more accessible to fans. I mean, I have memories of going to Maiden Castle during the school holidays and stuff like that, and, and mm. watching watching you lot train. And it was as a young as a young kid getting to be that close to your to your heroes at the time. You know, it was an astonishing experience. And I, I, I mean, it must have been pretty pretty bizarre for you guys as players as well, having all those fans there. Well, I mean, we used to have two or three thousand there, and again, yeah. we used to finish, and when we used we used to be sweating because we've had a high intensity training <laughs> session. By the time you got the got to the door, it made Castle freezing because you'd been stood out there. For, uh, for so long, but again, yeah. that's that's gone because you know um, training grounds now for lots and lots of clubs to just shut down. You know, mm -hmm. you can stand outside or you can peek through a little fence or a hole in the fence to see see your players. But fans, then you were on the touchline, like yeah. you basically just pretty much on the touchline and watching the lads play five side football. I mean, yeah. listen, sometimes. I think kids had to grow up a little bit more quicker because the effing and blinding sometimes <laughs> that used to go on. Uh, yes, I remember. <laughs> Kevin, I mean, Kevin Kevin loved it more than us. You know, I think he absolutely loved it. I mean, as I said, we had Sir Bobby and we had um, Rafa, but Kevin loved it. He absolutely loved it because he got the club as well. We all know he got the club and he loved the fans coming in. And it was more or less the more the merrier. Just bring them in, let them in, yeah. let them in. I mean, you couldn't get parked in the car park. You, I actually sometimes couldn't park my car in the car park where I was training because the other fans' <laughs> car park cars were there. But it was just, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
it's funny, but you absolutely loved it. I mean, there's more fans that used to turn up for training than there is now going to be watching Premier League games. So, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. just one of them things. That's how I got to know you. I mean, that's, you know, it was very lucky. I was very lucky. I mean, I was a fan who'd, who went who went down at the training ground and to watch it under the first early days under Kevin and then became a journalist. And then I was still, you know, as journalists, we were allowed to get down. And so you, you actually made contacts and then made friends with with those players at the time so I'll be you know I mean you know as someone who who loved the club watching the team at that moment is 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 my touchstone that's always the team that I'll team that I'll refer everything back to about what Newcastle could look and feel like but you know I've got very important personal reasons to to be grateful for it as well because um you know you kind of you you got to realize that Footballers and footballers were the same as you in lots of ways, and um, you could have stuff in common even though you did different things. And so, yeah, so very, very grateful to to Keegan for allowing that to happen. I'm not sure Steve would be, but because um, he's still. Oh, <laughs> well, we loved it. Yeah, we loved yeah. it. I mean, it was funny actually because I mean, we used to sometimes people used to write letters into the pink, and uh, they used to watch us training. And I think we had we had, we added some sort of uh, crossing and shooting. We never did any. Defending drills because he used to look across and see us were miserable as sin. Uh, Chris Chris McMenemy was there, and Mark Lawrenson and Faz Doric was actually, you know, great lads. And they used to think, do you know what, lads, you, you look sick as anything, just come and just do some shooting across. And I can remember we did the shooting across and exercise, and to be fair, we, were, we weren't the best. Some were going in, some were over the top. And I remember there was this one fan, and he absolutely battered about three or four of us, sort of, I mean, basically called us shit. Um, <laughs> just because we're doing a bit of crossing and finishing and we weren't hitting the target but that as I said it was just amazing to have fans fans in I mean they were all up in the woods as well sometimes because there was like 10 deep on the sidelines so they were just scattered all over and people used mm. to basically it was it was them having a day out or certainly half a day out and taking yeah. the kids and the dog and, was, yeah, and then yeah. they'd go for a walk and walk into, uh, into Durham which is a beautiful city and it was it was just amazing Right, come on, Chris, you've got some questions, haven't you? Yes, we've had plenty of questions uh, from supporters, Steve. So, I mean, we've had quite a few on this topic. So I'll just ask this one from Thomas Stewart, who's asking, when did you realise that you were a centre-back and not a centre-forward? How did that transition occur? I've answered this a few times. I was never, ever a centre-forward. I never played as a centre-forward. Well, I, I didn't when think I was it was either, but a lot of people seem to see it. No, I, I kind of got pushed into being a centre-forward because we didn't have one. Um, I was always an attacker midfield player. Um, and mm. it was in the youth team. We didn't have a centre-forward. Lee Clark was an attacking midfield player as well. As I said, we didn't have one, so me and him went in the front. I was quite tall, skinny and tall, um, and um, it just happened to work, and we had a good understanding. Uh, we scored goals. It was the same in, in, in the reserves. And I think in the, in the first team, I think, any, I think even proven goal scorers would have probably struggled in that team at that particular time. But it was certainly a, um, a kind of a, a, an eye-opening experience for me because he's somebody from Sunderland wearing the number nine in a team that's struggling and not scoring goals. Mm. Um, and I think um, for, the, for that first period, I actually thought my name got changed from Steve Howie to uh, Useless <laughs> Mac and Bastard. I think, that's how, I think that's how I was known. It was like, oh, who's that, God. Steve Howie? I don't know who Steve Howie is. You know, man, the Useless Mac and Bastard. Oh, yeah, oh, I know right. him. I know him. <laughs> that's, that's kind of how it was. So, um, 
And as I said, it was it was Aussie Art Dealers who initially kind of looked at that because when we did the five sides, I used to just play at the back because I did find it, well, it's a lot easier playing at the back than it is up front. Um, and then I was going to play a game uh, and Aussie, Aussie got sacked. And then that's when Kevin came in and it was, we had a couple of games behind closed doors, played in different positions. And that's how we just said to me, look, this is, I'm going to take this kind of club on. We are going to, you know, we are going to um, challenge for the for the Premier League or the, the Division One and all this kind of thing. And you'll be part of it if you want to be a centre half. If you want to be a centre forward, I'll check you and I wish you good luck. And I'm very happy to say this with Steve listening directly that he was an abs- not not just a fabulous centre half. He was a really graceful player as well, a really graceful centre half, and had everything as far as I'm concerned. Really had everything. And um, but one of the very interesting things about you, which we did t- talked about in that piece we did, was that that was very much part of your sort of training at the time. That you were you were, you had extra sessions with a fellow who was a ballroom dancer, didn't you? You had that, Lenny, yeah, Lenny, Lenny Heppel, yeah, yeah. Um, and Lenny was amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, Kevin brought him in to, to see us, and um, I mean, I, I've got a fun story about him actually, but. Uh, it was all about your upper body movement and, and moving your head and taking that step. Because if you if you get like 10 players or 10 people, men or women, and you stand them on a line with the feet together, when you blow your whistle, your very first reaction, your natural reaction is to put your foot back to plant to go forward. Lenny taught me to make my first step be forward and not back. So straight away, I've got half a yard. Um, and then it was a case of turning the, the head as well. But we used to, at Durham, at the Graham Sports Centre, we used to have the big gym there, the kind of where you play five-a-side and badminton and stuff. And me and Lenny used to have to hold hands and do ballroom dancing. Well, of course, I was getting absolutely <laughs> battered off the boys. But he helped, he helped my game massively. We also did table tennis as well. Now, Lenny's daughter, I think, was the British table tennis champion. And Lenny was married to Brian Pop Robson, uh, the, the striker. Um, and again, put years on his career. Um, and I can remember, as I said, obviously with, with this and me getting that extra yard ahead of, ahead of people, I'd, I'd managed to get in the England squad and my very first day with the England lads, never met them. I'm absolutely terrified because these are huge names. You know, I had some of them up on my wallet, you know, come remember shooting match magazine and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. I used to put pictures of these players on my wall. Now, all of a sudden I'm kind of classed as the teammates. Mm. So I've come down from, going to the hotel in, in Slough, Burner Beaches. And the very first time I'm meeting the lads is for dinner. And I'm walked in, I'm terrified. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm shaking. And we have the TV on, and of course, Sky's on. And the very first interview was with me, and I'm doing ballroom dancing exercises. <laughs> and the lads are all sat there. I was like, oh, no. Oh, well, of course. I mean, it was, it was brilliant, but I was like, I put me hand on my head, and I'm like, I don't bloody believe this. But it absolutely broke the ice. I mean, I got absolutely battered for it. But with Kevin's help, with hard work, and with Lenny's help, that certainly helped me get get uh, get to that stage. Steve, I've got a I've got a couple of names I want to run past you here, and I want you to tell me whether a Steve Howie at his prime was better than these players. I think I know the answer to a few of them, but I'd like you to tell me your answers to these. So, in in Steve Howie's prime, uh, Steve Howie or Jamie Pollock? Do I really have to answer that one? Definitely not. No. <laughs> Steve Howie or Keith Curl? I'd still go with me. Keith was a good player, though. Steve Howie or Vinnie Jones? 
different players completely, but I've got to yeah. save Vinny because he'd probably smack us otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Howie or Phil Bab? I'm going to go. I like Phil, but I'm going to go with me. Excellent stuff. Steve Howie or Steve Bold? I like Steve, but I'm going to go with me again. Very good. And finally, to top this off, this is George's cult hero for Newcastle United as well. Steve Howie or Barry Venison? Definitely me. Straight away. <laughs> He was, a, he was a great. Stuff. He was. A, he was a just great purely and simply for his hair. He was, yeah. Oh, I mean, no, but he yeah. caused. Do you know, Venice? If he'd had a drink in him, he'd cause a fight in an empty house. He was an absolute <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right, well, thanks very much, Steve, for uh, for coming on today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Some fantastic memories, some great stories there as well. Thank you very much for your time, and good luck with the uh, the Kilimanjaro trek as well. I'm sure you're going to raise a lot of money and a lot of awareness uh, uh, in this, the start of Mental Health Week. Thanks a lot for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you, mate. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for that. Good stuff, no problem. Chris, Waffles, look after yourself, mate. Take care. Likewise, and I just want to say thanks to Steve as well. I really enjoyed that. Pleasure. And George as well. Take care, George, and look after yourself. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Yes, we'll have to get Steve back on there because I feel like we've just scratched the surface of. We all have the stuff indeed we can talk only about. scratched the surface. Um, yeah, so anytime. We'll have to get you back, Steve. Thank you. Anytime. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, everybody out there for listening as well. This has been Pod on the Time. Look after yourselves and stay safe, and we shall speak to you next week. Take care. Bye bye.